0: I think you just need to have faith in my ability to ostracize you for other things. Did you buy a computer?
1: The irony here, by the way, is that two of the most unfashionable dudes ever are talking about fashion here for a minute. Have you done anything with blockchain, by the way? No, no, not at all. Not at all.
0: I don't actually believe you, but whatever. I mean, you know, it's
1: cool. Pull a pizza. What the f*** is he doing? It's when I get onto these recordings that everything kind of
0: goes to hell too bad i started the recording just a little bit too late or you would have gotten me saying hey guys welcome back to the results junkies podcast one of the things that you're always told not to do if you are a veteran podcaster is to start out a show asking a question that you don't know the answer to and yet i have that confidence this morning to sit here (laughs) on camera across from paul saying and ask him did you buy a computer?
1: Absolutely not.
0: Yeah. No. So the optimists that you so claim on my uh, on my Twitter feed will will have to will have to understand the realities of the situation and maybe yeah, become I, more realist than optimist in the future.
1: Somebody that listens to this podcast actually texted me last night to ask me if the next episode I was gonna have a new
0: laptop or a desktop or whatever. And <laughs> like, you just and you just laughed uncontrollably. He
1: texted he's like, hey, so do I get an insider view? Do you have a new laptop this week or whatever? And I was like, absolutely not. Just don't blame me <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well I'll give you I'll give you credit for doing your restart early. Uh, we, we we did not have to wait forty five minutes for your old computer. And we sit here we sit here with a bunch of issues in front of us. And you know, just for folks who are, are just tuning in, show at resultsjunkies.com. If you want to shoot us an email, you can find him on social media at Paul Singh. If uh, you can find him retweeting me making jokes about my surveys on his computer. And you can find me at Pizza in Motion, putting those surveys out there, asking folks if they actually think you're ever going to buy a computer. Yeah. That's, that's you know, right. I mean, it's not, like you're in, it's not like you're in the tech world or anything and you need, need a reliable computer, right?
1: No, No, not at all. Not at all. To be fair, by the way, my computer works just fine for like 99.9% of things. It's when I get onto these recordings that everything kind of goes to hell. So
0: I don't actually believe you, but whatever. I mean, you know, it's cool. <laughs> I, you know, I would, I, if it takes you 45 minutes to restart your computer, there are certain things on your machine that have to be running slow besides this. this I believe be.
1: this. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the, the scary part is, is like, if I do get a new computer, what will you, what will you have on me? I, I just don't know
0: you keep saying that like I won't be able to find something else but. I, I
1: just I feel like it'll it'll just make your life less interesting and, and your days less enjoyable if, if you have one less thing to hit me on
0: <laughs> I think you just need to have faith in my ability to ostracize you for other things
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that's fair
0: So let's uh, let's talk about Hollywood. You know, it's, it's odd that we've talked about strikes twice in the past handful of weeks. We talked about the UAW uh, strike, the auto worker strike, and the Hollywood strike is interesting in that. You know, in the article that you shared, which we'll put in the show notes, uh, you know, from Axios and a number of other articles I read, while there were uh, you know a variety of demands that the writers had, one of the big ones that they wanted to make sure was included in this agreement were some sort of boundaries. Uh, around the use of ai in the creative workplace and i don't you know based on your based on our initial discussion about this doesn't sound like you were surprised that this was one of the issues that bubbled up to the top
1: no i i think so so just to kind of cut to the chase on this i think so a couple of episodes ago we talked about stack overflow in the in the lawsuit with open ai and you know the tra- the resulting traffic drop and And then you combine that with the fact that, you know, Google search is starting to roll out their generative AI answers, which is different than the, you know, the top 10 SERPs on the page that we're used to for the last 20 years. This particular writer strike, even though it doesn't seem like it's relevant, I think is really interesting because the, 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 the deal that they struck, I think is going to become one of the, it's going to set some precedents here. And I I wouldn't be surprised if it also then gets subsequently referenced in those other lawsuits. So I I just think it's interesting to to keep an eye on this because, again, I think the impact is really what happens here is going to affect everybody, whether they know it or not. One of the interesting parts is, is that there's like one sentence in there or effectively one paragraph in there where the union has reserved the right to assert that such a practice is prohibited by law. And that practice is regarding the writer's work being used to train AI. So in other words, they're reserving the right to assert that the practice of using a writer's work to train AI is prohibited by law. That right there, I think, has a profound sort of implication in a good way, I think, to to give the rest of us credit in the long term for whenever our work might be used in a, in a model. Does that make sense?
0: It does, and I think what's not said yet uh, and why I'd really love to get a, a copy of the entire agreement is it's unclear who would be responsible for asserting those claims um, from everything I've read so far. It very clearly talks about what's prohibited for sure. But in those situations, and you and I have seen this, we've seen a number of lawsuits. In fact, we, you know, there was a new article that you dropped into the the chat that we have about more people jumping on lawsuits. Now we've got, um, you know, authors like uh, Robert Grisham joining this fray of lawsuits. So, it's pretty clear that Grisham is responsible for protecting his own works. If he doesn't want AI, you know, open, open AI or one of these other companies diving in, it's unclear to me in the sense of a studio who's ultimately responsible. And And there's two sides to this equation, not only, you know, who's responsible to defend, but who can defend. So let's just say that, you know, Paul, you made a movie with, you know, MGM studios, you know, do you have the right to defend yourself This comes back to like insurance companies with the restaurants. You know, typically the insurance company will say in certain sorts of claims, look, we're taking it over. You don't have any rights here. We're going to defend you and we'll decide if we're going to settle or not. And so there's this, there's this interesting dilemma of, you know, are the studios responsible? Can the studios overrule the actors on how they sue? You know, who's, who is left to defend these? It's, you know, I think they've, I think they've defined the sidelines and the goalposts, but I don't think they've defined how the game is going to be played yet.
1: That That's a fair statement. I mean, if I had to guess, though, it's it the duty is going to rest with whoever owns the rights to the thing being defended. Because there also is an obligation to defend it, you know? And, and so, like, I, I, if I was to guess at what's going to happen over the next 6 to 12 months is that you're going to see more and more authors, more and more people start to file these lawsuits. And even if some of them get you know, dismissed ultimately. It's really about establishing that pattern. You know, and I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but just as an example, like when you go file a trademark, you also have a responsibility to then defend that trademark. Because mm-hmm. later on, if you don't defend that trademark, that can also be used against you. You know, you can't, right. you can't just like trademark the world and then and then try to <laughs> try to claim it all. So, so I, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. That's a big question mark. But I think what you're going to see is probably more and more rights holders, whether that's in, that, in your example, whether that's the studios, the writers, the actors, whoever, I think you're going to see whoever the rights holders are start to proactively jump onto these lawsuits because it, it establishes that at least that pattern of, hey, this guy is trying to protect themselves. Let's figure this out. So I think it'll be interesting to see over the long term what percentage of OpenAI's budget goes towards legal (laughs) well
0: that's i mean like with all the with all the activity that's surrounding all these different lawsuits with these companies i I think there's two things that i that i think about as i as i process this first off i have not seen and i've searched i have not seen the same sort of activity directed towards bard google's version so i find that interesting you know does that mean that bard's not using the same data set or does it mean that they've come to some quiet agreement with these folks or that open AI and chat GPT are higher visibility. And so that's where the lawsuits are tackling, you know, lots of questions there. And then, you know, as I think about this from a, a grand scheme of things, you and I've talked about this a lot. I had a conversation with, you know, my business partner, Russell yesterday about a portfolio company that's building on top of chat GPT. And, I think of you know you've got you've got you got kids like seventy five of them so you may have been to, to Chuck E. Cheese. Thank you. Right, right. There's this game at you know Chuck E. Cheese and some of these other you know video game places where I don't know if you remember seeing this game where there's like a paddle that you slide back and forth on the machine and on the screen is is a platform that you move back and forth that can also teeter and it drops a block one at a time mm-hmm. onto the screen yep. and then as you get the tower gets taller it gets less stable and. Every time I see one of these lawsuits, I think of that game. And then I think about, I am now even less likely to want a portfolio company to build on top of this stack. Because to your point, um, you know, when you first started talking about ChatGPT and the risk of building on top of it, that risk was related more so to them deciding to change their pricing model, a la building on top of the Twitter API, which I think the example that you used. I think we've crossed over into this territory where now you have to you have to assume some level of legal or legislative risk if you're building on top of Chat GPT at this point.
1: One hundred percent. Yeah, I a long time ago or when we first started the podcast, one of the topics we talked about was sort of a, a very loose framework that I think about when I'm investing in companies, and and in just in loose high level language, every time I look at a company, I think of four buckets of risks. So you have product risk, market risk, tech risk, and regulatory risk, and most times, regulatory risk isn't really there, you know? You're like, oh, you're a B2B SaaS CRM? Okay, well, there's no regulatory risk on that, you know? But then every once in a while, you get into... I mean, you probably remember on the tech tour, like we ran into companies that were trying to make medical devices. Well, regulatory mm-hmm. risk there is much higher. And not not risk much in higher. the... Yeah, you're right. And so then you have to start to factor that in. So back to your point, you know... the. I really do think that the vast majority of startups we're seeing in the AI space or, you know, with AI in their, in their jargon, they're really just wrappers around some sort of backend to, to whether it's open AI or some other like tool, you know, and, and like, I'm not trying to like hurt them or anything like that, but there's a regulatory risk to that. You know, what did you train the model on and where does, where does the dust settle on all this stuff, you know, a year or two from now? Right. And, well and, and I
0: think and I think to that point I would applaud anyone who's out there building a business right now that um, that can use these new models to to make money I am not someone who wants to invest in that company and the and the line there is just that you know when we talk about we use terms like lifestyle business and and you know ventures venture scale business somebody can make a good living off of you know building on top of a chat Gbt or whatever and if circumstances change they can pivot and if their cap table is a cap table of one then they're responsible to themselves and um you know from an investor standpoint i i just i i don't i don't think i'm ready to be on on the cap table for one of these companies that's built on top of this
1: i i can't do it i mean i like and i you know i know that sounds horrible but like the risk is just too high you know and 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 I'll give you one more example, just cause like, I don't think people realize this, you know, AI, whoever the PR people are behind, you know, AI and ML and chat GPT are great. Whoever they are, they've earned every penny of their, of their living. But, you know, I was just talking to a, a client of ours and, you know, she's read everything about AI and she's like, Hey, how come you don't have AI in here to help us with like medical billing and claims or whatever? And I'm like, well, first of all, I can't guarantee if, if we did like integrate with somebody else, I can't guarantee that. You know, we. I just don't know where that data is going. I don't know if it's being used to, like, you know, if patient data is eventually being rolled up into another model. I, I just, I don't know. And somebody listening to me, like, well, but OpenAI has a BAA, and you can sign all this stuff. It's like, yeah, okay, but like, there's no oversight. How, how do <laughs> well, I know? Your
0: face right now is hilarious. This is why we need to take it to video. <laughs> your face yeah, right? when you pivoted there was like, Ooh.
1: right. And then the second part is that, like, particularly in healthcare, for example you know, the risks of using things like this can subject you. So like, for example, if you get audited, just in just a high level conversation here for a second, if you as a clinician or a doctor get audited, whether it's by Medicare or some other insurance company, they don't care what tool you used. It could be AI. It could have been a cup of coffee while you wrote your notes at night. They don't care. What they care about is, is you sign that plan of care. And if they pick a sample set of patients and find a flaw here's the risk. They can claw back all the payments. Right. Right. So like, that's different. Like usually liability, like, you know, you and I, when we invest in startups, a lot of the liability, when you, when you look at these terms of service, these companies basically limit the liability to whatever you might've paid for the service. Right. So we're using StreamYard, whatever it is, $49 a month. You just, in the terms of service, you can't sue StreamYard for a billion dollars. You, you know, it's limited, right? But with healthcare, it's a little different, it, you know, it, they can claw back as far back as they want to go, if they really have to. So anyway, the point is, though, is that y- this all ties back to your point about regulatory risk. It's hard to invest in AI, you know, air quote AI companies that are thin wrappers, but more broadly, it's hard to invest in AI right now because it, like, I think it's here to stay. Actually, let's just talk about this for a second. Because, like, in some ways, this whole trend of AI has the same earmarks of the wave that we saw when blockchain came out. You remember,
0: everybody was blockchain. Oh yeah, yeah. You can, oh yeah. Every you can do right. everything with blockchain. Have you done anything with blockchain? By the way, no. Okay, just, to, just making sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: On the on the one side, AI and this whole like PR blitz around it kind of has the same feeling of blockchain. But I, but to be fair, I think blockchain wasn't. Blockchain's like your database. You're like MySQL. It's probably there to stay, but nobody ever talks about it, so it's just whatever. AI, I think, is going to be here. I think it's going to become more of the narrative. Um, you know, uh, we're we're heading into an election year. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what where deep fakes and stuff like that come out. You know, that's going to that's a terrifying thing to think about next year. So, the the point is though, is that I think from an investor standpoint, a lot of AI right now just feels like speculative investing, you know, in an already risky asset class. And all of it is, to your point, that sort of tower at Chuck E. Cheese that's just ready to crumble at any moment. One engineer away from just cutting off the API. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's pivot to this discussion about uh, Peloton and Lululemon. Um, You, you know, you, you dropped this article in our chat And I've got some, I had some strong opinions about that, shockingly, but let's, let's tee it up high level. And then I want to hear your opinions. So in this partnership, everybody knows who Peloton and Lululemon are. shouldn't be any misgivings there. You know, Peloton has struggled as of late. You know, they, they over-indexed on inventory and they've had, they've struggled to maintain costs. So they've they've certainly had some struggles. Lululemon has been more robust in terms of their growth and sustainability. But this partnership is one where um, they're sharing their strengths. So Lululemon is giving Lululemon will be giving its subscribers access to Peloton classes, and Peloton will start selling co branded Lululemon products. There's some other pieces here, but at a high level, this is sharing the best of what both of them do. Peloton offers a wide array of classes, which both of you and I, well, I think you're still subscribed. I am still subscribed to. I am, yep. And at least one half of this podcasting team has a wife that spends too much money at Lululemon. So they are a leader in what they do as well. Although, thankfully, my wife gets a discount as a Pilates instructor. So... So as we sit here and we look at that, I'm I'm curious first and foremost what made you drop this in the chat and where your head is on this.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, full disclosure, I yeah, I'm a Peloton subscriber and and a Lululemon wearer. You know, the, no shame there. <laughs> so so that's cool. But that's actually not what caught my eye on this article. So what the reason I noticed this one was that back in 2020, at the you know the height of the craze and the uncertainty around the pandemic. The, the big news back then was that Lululemon, the clothing company, had spent $500 million to buy Mirror. It's like this thing that goes on the wall. And supposedly, there's like 250,000 people that have bought these things. Yeah, they're like $4,000, $5,000 wall screens. And the idea is, is that instead of looking at your phone for your workout, you know, it's projected on this big thing. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, right? But the, So half a billion dollars. I don't ever think, I think at the time, the reason it was so wild was that I don't think there had ever been a retailer like a clothing retailer that had ever bought a you know like a, a tech enabled gym product or whatever. So they spent 500 million dollars at, at the time, I mean you, you, you guys remember like way back when like everybody was spending more in e-commerce, we were all locked down in our houses. This was a big bet. And what's quietly happening in parallel to this deal is that part of these terms is that mirror product that they spent half a billion dollars on is now going to be shuttered. And the intent is to try to get these mirror customers to switch to Peloton hardware. So I I just thought it was interesting because like, this is the, you know, we've talked a lot about early stage companies that probably should never have received funding that got funding in 2021 through 2022 because of, you know, low interest rates and, and low yield everywhere else. And this is all the way on the other end of the spectrum. You know, there were larger acquisitions that people overpaid for. And this is like the first one to fall, and I wonder what else is going to fall. So anyway, that's why it caught my eyes because this is like quietly dusting off. This is like, hey, let's announce something new. And by the way, don't don't pay any attention to the fact that we just had to close off the five hundred million dollars we spent.
0: Yeah, and just to put that five hundred million <laughs> into into context, so as it stands today, the the market cap of Lululemon is just shy of fifty billion. I just checked; it's forty nine billion. So we're talking about something that's a one percent of the value of the company. That they're writing off, and it, clearly they did not write this all off today. This was acquired in 2020. They have 250 thousand subscribers for the product, and you know, hard to tell how many of those are at full price. What because I, I don't know how much the mirror subscription costs, but I mean, you know, there's some level of trial subscriptions and celebrity subscriptions and things of that nature to get people to use the product. For for context. You know, Peloton has over two million subscribers, so ten x what Mirror does, and their retention rate is—I would have to imagine—exceedingly high. I, I, you know, th- it's listed over ninety percent for retention rate. I, I don't know, I don't know what the industry average is, but an over ninety percent retention rate seems exceedingly high to me in, in this space. I think it's also interesting that um, I don't know if you know this, but do you know how much you pay for your Peloton monthly subscription?
1: I think it's—is it forty-four dollars a month now? I
0: think it's 44. It's somewhere right somewhere right in that range, yeah. And so uh, Lululemon's Mirror subscription was essentially the same price, 39 bucks for their all-access pass. But I would say just at a high level, I would perceive that, that Peloton was a lot deeper in terms of the the classes, the and, the and the 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 breadth of content that they offered at this price point, which I'm sure helps with retention. Taking this all the way full circle around to what in theory Lululemon is helping Peloton with if you think about it, you know we we always talk about growth and distribution from a company standpoint. And you know, you mentioned, you know, hey, like I'm wearing Lululemon. We know in 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 the pandemic, Peloton overbuilt on equipment. There there are likely still warehouses filled with bikes and treadmills that that they have not been able to sell yet. So. They're not growing significantly there to outgrow the mistakes they made there. As far as their subscriber database, they've got a very high retention rate, but I don't know what their subscription growth is like. And I think, I think you and I would both agree, whatever that subscription growth curve looks like, it has to be... Less palatable than during the pandemic when there were no other choices, because now you can choose to go to twenty four hour fitness or Total Fitness or Life Fitness or whoever. Where before your choices were Peloton or Mirror or any of these like at home products. So 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 that curve has changed. And what does that leave? Well, it leaves other stuff. And I, I mean, I don't have I, you know I don't wear a lot of exercise gear, but I, I don't see a ton of people wearing Peloton stuff out in the in the wild so it seems like this is a really good move for peloton to have somebody help them add you know auxiliary revenue here on something that they're just not a a subject matter expert on
1: well well that's it like the the thing about lulu and again the irony here by the way is that two of the most unfashionable dudes ever are talking about fashion here for a minute
0: but 100 100 (laughs) so
1: so yeah y'all are getting what you pay for here here's the thing like You and I live in Northern Virginia and I don't mean to stereotype, but the reality is, is that a lot of people uh, around here seem to wear that sort of athleisure style that, that Lululemon has, even if they're not working out like Lulu. I think the reason why Lulu is worth, uh, you know, has a $50 billion market cap is not because it sells exercise gear, but rather that it sells a lifestyle that is worth paying for. It's kind of like Starbucks. Like Unequivocally, people would agree that Starbucks coffee is not the best. But the reason people buy so much Starbucks is because like it's become more of a symbol to like hold the cup and you know all that. So here's the thing. I, I think this is interesting because you know if Peloton can get its logo on that Lulu gear. I wonder, you know, I, whatever the deal cost behind the scenes, I bet this is like a huge marketing expense for them. You know, that's probably how they're classifying this partnership or the costs associated with this par- partnership. Because like this, I, I, again, I'm, I don't know why I'm picking my words here. Basically, the thing is, is like, the reason that Peloton is so differentiated is, is it's got a lot of competitors now, right? Like, you know, I just got this new iPhone or whatever. And you know, like every time you get a new iPhone for that first 90 days there's these little call to actions or whatever, where it's like, claim your first first three months of Apple fitness trial or Apple arcade trial or whatever. And that Apple fitness thing right there is like, interesting. Like I haven't signed up for that. Cause I'm like, every time I get the thing, I'm like, Oh, another $39. I don't need that. I've already got the Peloton gear, you know, and the hardware and all that stuff. So I don't know. I think this is one of those things where it's probably like, Apple's kind of pushing there's like a lot of pressure here now, I bet, for for Peloton, because like to your point, they've got this hardware inventory sitting in a bunch of warehouses somewhere, and they're in a pickle because if they like discount that hardware, they're going to piss off their old customers. <laughs> and you know they, like in other words, they're not going to partner with Apple. Like I don't think Apple wants to partner with them for their hardware. This is just, man, it would, it would give me a lot of anxiety to work in that industry right now, because like your Peloton, you're sitting on this warehouse of stuff. Everybody kind of knows, you, you know, you haven't figured out where you're headed yet. You just did a deal with somebody that's worth $50 billion of market cap. <laughs> and oh, by the way, <laughs> there's a, a team of probably a thousand people at Apple right now that are watching everything you do and trying to figure out how to make their product right. more valuable. Like
0: the, right. It's
1: like it's like this Mexican standoff that's just happening. So that's more of a nervous laugh by the way. I just I think it's really fascinating.
0: Yeah, and I was Google I was Googling in the background while we were talking about this and it looks like Peloton has has ma- maintained a 10% year over year growth in new subscribers. So wow. So they've kept the flywheel going, and now they add something to that distribution channel, which you and I always say is the secret sauce.
1: You know, it's totally a- anecdotal here, but so I use, we have a, I don't know what you guys have at home, but we have a uh, a tread, and then we have the bike.
0: We have both, yeah. And
1: I, I always forget like what they call the bike.
0: We have the earlier versions, yeah.
1: Yeah, I have the earlier versions, so I don't know what the difference is now, but I have like that tread with the slats on it, which I love. Right, you have the first
0: version. We have the second version of the tread and the first version of the bike.
1: Yeah, okay, so we have the first version of the bike and the tread. And I love those things, man. Like for me, you know, especially when it's cold outside and while the kids are really young, it's hard for me to like go out and run. So I just can hop out of my office here and knock out an hour if I need to right there to put that in there. You spent all this money now. And it's interesting because like, if you had asked me if I would ever be the guy that like bought a treadmill or whatever, I, I don't know. I think COVID is what made me buy this gear. And and prior to COVID, I would have been, I was just fine going to sport and health down the street, you know, not a big deal. But now I've got this gear in my house and it's almost like sunk cost. It's like this sunk cost in my head and I'm like, I don't need a gym anymore. I don't need any of this stuff because I've already invested in this and I don't know where I'm going with this other than to say that the 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 partnership itself I don't think they had any of other options. I mean so here's a totally anecdotal observation. I feel like when it first started when I first got my my gear, you know there's that leaderboard on the right side when you're working yeah. out yep yeah. i I just remember everything looking like it was either a US city state cuz you can put your username there and then it shows if you don't turn it off it shows like your city and state. Mm-hmm. I just remember it always showing like US and UK locations. And then now that we're talking about it I'm thinking about my run on the tread yesterday and there were all these Latin American countries as well. You know, yeah. I and and yeah. so I wonder if that's where a lot of that growth is coming from is figuring out how to get those those bikes out to other other geographies, I don't know I, I was running with somebody from Bermuda, like the island of Bermuda, and it's like, how nah. did that, how'd that get out there? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so like, Bermuda's not a big place. no. anyway, I think it's a smart move, and I think you know partnerships I've always said like you know uh, and more ironic here, I've always said like partnerships don't matter. like I think for early stage companies, you really shouldn't partner with anybody because like there's a speed mismatch, you know, early stage co- startups are like fighting to survive and and the big guys don't really need you. And the caveat to that statement is that partnerships don't matter until they do. <laughs> and then when they <laughs> do, then it really matters. Like in this case, I bet that the the business case here fundamentally was is like, look, we're either going to have to spend money to go, you know, air quote, to go mainstream, to keep that growth going, or we're going to have to spend that same amount of money in some sort of partnership. So which one is less worse? It's interesting to watch.
0: Well, we've we've both got hard stops coming up, and I think that means we're going to have to leave the nuclear reactors from Microsoft on the uh, on the bench for a potential conversation uh, next week. Man, still the data center nerd
1: in me loves that one. I will Hopefully yeah. we'll talk about that at some point. Uh,
0: I will still be in <laughs> town when we record again next week, which is pretty incredible. That doesn't usually happen for me. Any travel plan for you?
1: No, nothing yet. I'm, I'm looking at like the conference circuits right now and just seeing if it's worth going to any of these conferences. But other than that, we're, we're sort of in the day-to-day groove now with the kids in school and all that. So next travel is probably going to be for our anniversary, uh, you know, right after Thanksgiving, I'm guessing. But... Who knows? I might get a wild hair in there and pull a pizza.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, you mean book a book a three-day trip to Auckland like I did for December?
1: Good for you. Three days. Yeah. I mean, that's probably, set, you know, three days on the ground or three days from wheels up to wheel down?
0: Four days from wheels up to wheels down, three days on the ground. Uh, look, you, I mean, man. you know, it's three days, but it's three days I didn't have, so.
1: I think it's... No, no, I love that, man. Like, I, I think... I feel like we're coming out of the we you know you remember with the young kids like you you know the you'd have to pack up the pack and plays and all that jazz like I right. can see the end of the the light at the end of the tunnel now like we're we're probably a year away from not having to pack a stroller anymore and I think flights get a lot easier and, and Wait
0: until you're out of car seats man it's a beautiful oh, time
1: Yeah can't wait can't wait But we're soaking up every moment All right well I will talk to you in a couple days and as always good to see you man
0: All right, man take it easy Bye, right, buddy Preceding was produced in association with Crooked Path Production.